1: PlushCare.com slash weight loss.
0: The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, the Renault Dealer of the Year and most Google-reviewed dealership in Ireland. For award-winning customer service you can trust, visit us today. Blackstone Motors, drive with peace of mind. 041-983-1100.
2: You're very welcome to Wednesday Afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. My first guest today joined me in studio at the start of the year and we had a most interesting conversation about her and what she does. Originally from Balbriggan, Laura Perrins is a barrister who now co-edits The Conservative Woman in the UK and with so much happening around Brexit since we last met, no better time for a catch-up. Laura, afternoon. Afternoon. Thank you for taking our call. Listen, let me be, put this straight to you first. Do you believe there's no other deal in town barred this one?
3: Oh, well, I, I don't necessarily. Oh, and, well, I don't think Europe will offer them anything better, no. I mean, that's not necessarily a reason to back the deal, though.
2: Uh, OK, so take your chances?
3: You, you could take the chances, yes. I mean, I accept that there's risks involved with that. It certainly would be very bad for Ireland if Britain went out with with. Uh, without a deal, although um, what's called going out on WTO terms um, because the main issue is that it doesn't look like Theresa May has the numbers to get this through um, Westminster. Mm. Um, she doesn't have the numbers to get it through the House of Commons. I mean, the numbers shift, but about bet ACA Tory MPs have said they're not going to vote for it, which is a huge amount. I mean, even if there was only 10 Tory MPs saying that, it would be a huge fight. ACA's um, Is a huge amount, and the DUP has said uh, they will vote against it. Mm. So although there's a huge campaign on now um, to uh, get the MPs behind it, with Theresa May going over their heads to the general general voter, um, I'm not too sure she's got the numbers.
2: Why is she so hell-bent on selling this deal?
3: I really don't know. I think uh, people have, have been getting psychologists in. Um, I, I don't, I just don't know um, why she, she thinks that. I mean, I, I think, you know, she's motivated, you assume, you know, to, to act in the best interest of the country. Um, you assume she, she thinks that this is perhaps the only deal that she can get. Um, and that the public will reward her for it ultimately because they want to move on and they don't want this Brexit thing hanging around anymore. And, and the Daily Mail did release a um, did release a a poll yesterday. They've had an editorial switch now and are very pro the deal. Um, that said, the majority of voters wanted to get behind it, but certainly. Uh, from everything I can see, although obviously I'd be selecting perhaps (laughs) uh, who I'm reading and who I'm watching, lots and, you know, so many people are against it.
2: Mm. Now here's the thing. Let's take it that Westminster just doesn't back it and it looks obvious that they won't at the moment. What happens from there? Uh, Does she lose her job, number one? Is there a general election, too? And is there the possibility of going back to the people?
3: Um... I don't think there's a possibility of them going back to the people. Um, Jeremy Corbyn doesn't want to do that and has has ruled that out. Theresa May has also very firmly ruled it out. Um, I mean, there's always a chance. If it does happen, though, it it would just be incredibly divisive. It would be ten times worse than it was the last time around. I mean, I had some sympathy last week for having another vote, and then I just realised how awful it would be. Um, so I don't think there's any, there's no There's no majority either in the House of Commons for that. Mm. Um, so no, I don't think that okay, would
2: be. Okay, so not back to the people. Uh, general election?
3: I mean, a general election, you know, it seems likely, but for that to happen, um, you know, either the Tories or Labour have to table a no-confidence deal and Theresa May has to lose it. Mm -hmm. And there's no there's nothing indicating that that would happen right now. Um, On the other hand, if she stakes her entire premiership on this and she doesn't get it through, she may finally decide to step step away. Um, uh, But, you know, that would probably only trigger a leadership contest because there is the five year fixed term act now that operates. Um, which says, you know, the next election isn't due for, I think, at least another year or two. So, um, it just depends. I mean, if it got very chaotic, perhaps, you know, maybe, maybe she'd call another general election. But again, I'm not convinced on that.
2: Mm. You know, the worry is uh, the, the uncertainty of no deal. Are we facing a border, certainly, here on the island of Ireland again, for sure? Customs checks, trade chaos across Europe?
3: Well, I don't think so, um, because Britain has said there will be, no, be no border, and, and obviously the Republic has said there is no border, so there will be no hard border. So the question is, who is going to put up this, this hard border? Um, and, you know, the, the, the argument is that all of these checks can be done um, away from the border, and they can use technology. Now, whether or not the preparations for a WTO leave um, exit have been made and adequately made, been made, it's difficult to know. The civil service sat on their hands for far too long on that, although now they are, you know, the word is that there is serious contingency plans for a, a, a W2O exit. But of course, you know, it, it is uncertain. People don't like uncertainty. I don't like uncertainty. Um but again, a lot of people don't don't like this deal. I mean, she may go back and try and ask for an extension of the Article 50 procedure to try and avoid um, exiting. It's it's difficult to know in terms of the parliamentary rules what actually happens if this if this vote doesn't go through. Um, some people say it, it's simply not within the mechanisms of Parliament for Britain to ex- exit on a no deal at the moment. Mm. Um, but you kind of need to be a sort of a, a UK constitutional lawyer expert in the area to know for sure
2: yeah and the other thing is there's a lot been mentioned today about the norway model and the european free trade association the uk was once a member the swiss norway iceland and Liechtenstein in there at the moment are those options being looked at um
3: you assume that those options have have been looked at but I think the problem with that is that uh, then free movement of, of people is maintained. Mm. And the one thing about the deal is that uh, it, that has stopped. That, that Theresa May thinks that this was a big part of the referendum. Um, and I think she's right on that to some extent, although it wasn't the only thing. So I think that's the problem with those options is that um, then there isn't a, a, uh, a stop on, on the free movement of people.
2: I follow British politics myself. I enjoy it and 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 watch it closely. I have to say to you that from this side of the Irish Sea, it's just like a pantomime at the moment.
3: Well, you know, I mean it's it's not necessarily pantomime and people people are executing a very big change like this a big change to your constitution, really, and a big change to how you will trade is is never going to be easy. Um, Certainly doing it by referendum um, in a system that is not used to referendums as opposed to, obviously, the system in the Republic where um, that is the the system used to bring about significant change um, causes problems. And it could... You know, it depends on how far you want to go back. You could argue they should never... Uh, passed the Maastricht Treaty uh, that Cameron should never have offered the referendum um, or that the you know the Tory party should have put it in, in their manifesto and said if you know if you vote for us you'll be voting to leave the European Union and this is this is how we will leave and it's on these terms you know we will look for either a, a trade deal from the European Union or um, we will go out on WTO terms and then all these issues can be can be raised so I mean some of it does go back to the mechanism used namely and uh, namely a referendum I mean that wasn't you know necessarily my idea um, but it. Was- was given for political reasons by Cameron because he wanted to to kill UKIP as a party, which is exactly what happened.
2: Two final quick questions before we finish. We have a minute or so. I want to be Noel Edmonds for a moment. I know he's in the jungle. Deal or no deal, ultimately?
3: I I think... I I used to say a deal, but not this deal, because I don't think she's got the numbers.
2: Okay, and if Mr Cameron, the man who set the ball rolling here under pressure from a rump of the Conservative Party, could turn back the clock with all that's transpired subsequently, he might not ever have given that referendum.
3: No, he wouldn't have. But that doesn't mean that different things mightn't have happened. But no, uh, George Osborne told him not to give the referendum and he will be saying, I told you so.
2: Absolutely. Laura, lovely to catch up with you again today. Really appreciate it no problem thank you take care of yourself bye 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 -bye. that's Laura Perrins there from Balbriggan, joined us on Late Lunch in studio some months ago she's a very interesting woman she's a pro-Brexiteer and she is co-editor of the Conservative Woman in the UK you're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio up next you met him on Late Lunch last week he read the poem called Birthday shortlisted in the Book Awards last year for Poem of the Year guess what Brian Kirk only went and did it he's with us next let begin by reminding listeners that last week on Late Lunch Brian Kirk dropped in for a chat His poem birthday was nominated for Poem of the Year at the Irish Book Awards And guess what folks, do you know what happened last night? He only went and won it and he's on the line with me now Oh Brian, I'm delighted for you
4: Oh, thanks very much, Gerry. I'm delighted myself, as you can imagine. Uh, little did I know when I was talking to you last week that I was actually going to win it. So uh, it's a real bonus. It's more than a bonus, you know. It's the icing on the cake completely from
2: me, you know. I ask people this always when they're at awards and they've been shortlisted and you're sitting there. I can empathise with you myself. First of all, had you longed to wait before your award came up?
4: Yeah, I had a bit of a wait. It was kind of over halfway through the whole proceedings and there must have been maybe 18 to 20 awards on the night. And I think it was over halfway through before the Poetry Award came up. And I could see on the running order where, where it would happen. But uh, so it took a while for it to come around. And you know your nerves do get the better of you at some stage, even with the best will in the world, and you tell yourself, oh, the main thing is to be here and to be nominated. But you can't help thinking, you know, well, what would it be like if I won? You know what I mean? It's kind of natural to kind of think like that. But you get, de- you're kind of, you dare not think it either at the same time. So, so when your name is actually called out, uh, it was very peculiar sensation. And uh, I don't really remember walking up to the stand, you know, to say a few words or whatever. But uh, it 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 was just a peculiar and surreal kind of moment, but a great moment as well. And it took a while for it to sink in,
2: you obviously had a good night there's a little bit of gravel in that voice today <laughs> a
4: little oh, a little bit yeah there was there was a, one or two drinks taken in but it there was a great crowd we were at the table we were at was the table that was hosted by the stone writers Week, who sponsored the poetry award and they were uh, really excellent hosts as well and they're lovely people and they run a great festival down in the stall and so we, we had good crack as well and uh, you know everyone kind of kept each other going and tried not to uh, dwell on the the nerves in the earlier part of the evening and then on the later part of the evening you know there was a lot of chats and, and 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 mingling and and you know good conversation as well and one or two drinks along the way as well you
2: know and plenty of praise which you well deserve now just to remind listeners the poem is called Birthday you wrote it for your wife Laura and it's taken from your first collection After the Fall Brian this puts you at a different level all of a sudden
4: I suppose in in poetry terms, it's kind of hard to, uh, you know, in in real terms, when you publish a poetry book, you don't expect to reach a huge audience. And as a writer, you want to, what you really want is you want readers. So something like this, which is a National Book Award Prize, uh, it's brought the poem, I'd say, to, you know, infinitely more people than most poets would have as, as a readership. You know, so I'm very lucky, and the other shortlisted poets are lucky as well, that we've had our poems read probably by... You know, people in the thousands rather than the hundreds for starters. You know, over the last few weeks. Uh, but winning it again is just incredible. Again, it, it, it just elevates your name and your and your work to a new place. And the hope is that people will seek out the book and and read the book and seek out other work you do, and and that your 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 name will become known, and uh, that people who enjoy the work will will enjoy other work they read by you as well and also I suppose part of the award as well is in a wider sense it's because there's a poetry award only in the book awards for the last three years I think that will encouraged more people to read poetry as well you know know? because most people will read a crime fiction or read the sports book or biography or the latest novel but a lot of people uh, even avid readers don't read a whole lot of poetry so I suppose part of the purpose of the award for poetry is to bring poetry to a wider audience as well not just your school goers, you know.
2: Yeah, and you're actually so on the money there. It's something that's beautiful and many people involved in it across the country and these awards and highlighting it in the Book Awards is fabulous. And, of course, again, to say, Brian, you are the winner this year.
4: (laughs) Thanks very much, Jerry. It's an absolute pleasure to be having this conversation, which uh, I, I didn't expect it really when we were talking last week, and it was a great opportunity be on your show last week and read the poem and, and have a chat about it and, and uh, the, the lucky position I was in at the time being shortlisted but uh, but it's great to be here today now having won the thing you know it's incredible
2: It's a great boost as well I'm sure personally because you told us last week you are working away on other projects and there's mm-hmm. more poems in the pipeline but nothing like an award like this to no. drive you on
4: oh, This is a huge boost you know just for me personally just in the work you know because you know when you go to a night like this or you're in, a, you're in an award or you're shortlisted for something, it's very exciting. But before all that, you have to put in the hours and really good writing. I think I was saying even on the on the show last week that, you know, one thing you have to get used to when you write, whether it's poetry or prose or fiction or whatever, the one thing you have to get used to is rejection, you know. so And like nobody ever talks about and I certainly never go on my blog or whatever and talk about it all of the manuscripts that have been rejected or the poems that have been returned by by uh, the journals or competitions. You only ever hear about the ones that win, you know what I mean? And and know we're all like that, but to be a writer, you have to kind of do the work, you know, send it out, you know, get the get the, get the rejections, you know, almost embrace them and, you know, come back stronger and keep going, you know, because it it's a long race, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint, you know.
2: <laughs> for sure Brian well listen please God uh, the rejections are a thing of the past the acceptance is certainly there now and the acknowledgement the icing on the cake at the book of the year awards last night from after the fall Brian Kirk's collection the poem is called Birthday Brian once again congratulations to you you're one of life's great guys and continued success for the future
4: thanks so much for your support Jay. it's incredible thanks very much again for having me on
2: he really is one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. It couldn't happen to a nicer fellow And congratulations again to Brian Kirk on his big win at the Book Awards. And in fact, to all the winners last night, well done to all of you. Now, don't forget to tune in to Seamus and Christy on The Breakfast Show tomorrow and Friday morning for your last chance to win a 100 euro Carrick McCross shop local voucher and it's to mark the launch of the 5,000 euro shop local voucher giveaway happening between now and Christmas in participating stores throughout Carrick McCross. First draw takes place this Friday night around 6 o'clock with Santa drawing out the lucky winners and switching on the Christmas lights. So oh, a big night in Carrick this weekend. Now up next on late launch, have you a question about your pussy, pooch, rabbit, horse, and under the sun. Yes, she's here. Sinead Kelly's in the house, our vet. She'll take all comers questions. The numbers you need 086 1800 658 by text or WhatsApp or you can call in with your question now to 1850 715 958. News and weather next.
0: The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie you need these numbers for the next while,
2: 086-1800-658. Free on WhatsApp or you can text us directly here at the studio, 86 658 Or you can call in on 1850 because this is free. Sinead Kelly, our vet, is with us. She'll answer all comers' questions. If you're a dog, a cat, a rabbit, a horse, whatever you want, a gerbil, a hamster, Sinead can answer the questions. Now's your opportunity to get them to, this, to us. We have them already. We have some in already and we'll do our best to get through them all in the next half hour. Sinead, it's so good to see you again. Thank good you for be back. joining Thanks us. For having me. Well I should sort of could have expected that we'd get one like this today. We have your first question says I just put up the Christmas decorations at the weekend. By God you're early on them I have to say. Uh and our cat is going ballistic. In and out of the tree, pulling down the silver. Won't leave the balls alone. Has Sinead any suggestions? Take it down, put it back in the attic and don't put it up to just before Christmas. Sorry, Sinead, go on. Oh
3: well
5: I'm afraid you're gonna have a problem really you need to keep the cat shut out of the room because cats are perfectly capable of getting baubles and tinsel off the tree and then they can actually chew them, eat parts of them and then that can cause an obstruction in the cat so I mean I've had several occasions uh, in my career where I've had to remove um, long pieces of tinsel that conforms a linear foreign body um, or little bits of toys or objects or baubles that can get stuck in the cat's stomach or small intestine so yeah it's, it's, it's not something to be sniffed at and sadly I mean you have some hope of training a dog not to go near the tree, you've got I have no hope of training the cat not to go near the tree so I think you would need to shut the cat out of the of the room with the tree in it
2: so that is it for the the, yeah. the, the duration and yeah. you have to endure a few weeks now into the new year I'm afraid there's no option just to keep them away from exactly. it
5: exactly there's nothing you can do to stop them if, the, if they're obsessed with the with the, the the tree decorations and the tinsel and things like that then really you know you have to keep them out because otherwise they will ingest them and help get a farm body
2: and you'll be heading for your vet that's for sure if that happens next one up for Sinead is my lab is shedding Labrador is shedding like mad at the moment Why? It's winter time, and would regular combing help or be necessary at this time of the year?
5: Yeah, I mean, dogs tend to have two big molts in the year. It tends to be kind of spring, summer and then early autumn, winter. So you're a little bit late for it. But um, they can also moult quite badly if they're a bit stressed or if a bit run down. Or just most dogs and labs are one of them will just pretty much moult all year round. So there's no magical cure, no magical treatment. By all means, you can brush the coat an awful lot and get out the the undercoat, the the extra hairs that are there. But it's probably not going to make that much of a difference to... To the amount of hair that's there I'm afraid if you want a non-molting dog uh, the next time you get a dog you need to go for like a, a Bichon or a Poodle or, or a Maltese which don't molt
2: I was talking to somebody actually recently who has a dog and I, and I don't know what breed it is but it doesn't lose its hair and, and they're ha- very very happy but here's the thing just back to that question does regular combing of the coat help with the shedding reduce it doesn't
5: it doesn't really make any I mean I suppose in, in what will probably happen is you'll get the fur out at the grooming that would have come out when you were molting so now you're still going to molt as well so it might reduce it by a little bit it's better for the dog's health I mean the problem is if you don't brush them regularly then the undercoat the undercoat kind of stays where it is and you might get a a bit of mat- matting and the dog's skin might get a bit irritated so I would always advise regular brushing like once or twice a week but it's probably not going to have that much an effect on the on the molting. I'm afraid there's no magic answer
2: okay no answer to that one there Jenny's been on to say I've been waiting avidly for Sinead to be back on your show Jerry because I have a question for her my Cavalier King Charles has lost his bark he's eight going on nine is this common oh uh, and should I be concerned
5: that's very strange that's a very thing. So I presume what she's noticing is that he's going to bark, he's making the barking motions and nothing is coming out um, I would pop along to your vet and just get checked out just check there's nothing going on with the larynx um, that there's no uh, changes happening in the larynx, there's no lump or mass or anything like that there, so it might be worthwhile getting that investigated It's unusual, it's a funny one so I, I, I would imagine that something's gone wrong with the structure of the larynx and I think it's maybe worthwhile getting the larynx checked out uh, If it's just a temporary thing maybe there's been a bit of hoarseness, maybe a bit of an upper respiratory tract infection, but if it's been going on for a few weeks or more then it may be that there's something structural down there that's affecting the bark so uh, your own vet might need to give the the cavalier a little bit of a general anesthetic and then as they're about to intubate as they're about to put a tube down the larynx they can examine the larynx and see is there anything there that shouldn't be there just to get it checked out but I would definitely get it checked out.
2: It's rare you say? It is
5: very rare yeah very mm, very rare. Very okay beautiful.
2: yeah so there you may go and have that one looked at uh, for sure. Uh, in a general sense, Sinead, can dogs or cats get the flu says a listener there no name on that one flu and dogs No the
5: flu viruses are species specific so um, most of the time now I suppose as we know sometimes we can get avian flu or swine flu so occasionally the viruses can mutate and spread from other animals to us so I suppose in theory the human flu virus can mutate and spread to dogs but I've never really encountered it so I don't think there's much research written on it or anything like that I think it's pretty low risk I think you probably have to have some kind of epidemic and some kind a mutation to occur so on the, in, the, in the most cases they're not human flu patients are not really a risk to dogs and cats
2: okay next question for Sinead keep them coming thank you so much for sending them to us 086 658 whatsapp or text just reminding you of the number again or 1850 715 958 if you'd like to call in uh, Sinead my dog killed a rat in our garden yesterday would she need to see a vet
5: Um, Well, what I would hope you're going to say is that the dog is vaccinated against leptospirosis because leptospirosis is a disease that's carried by rats and spread by rats uh, and really your dog should have, hopefully is vaccinated yearly every 12 months should have immunity against lepto. If your dog is not vaccinated against lepto, I would go down to the vet and get a vaccination. Might be I mean, hopefully it's not going to be a little bit late and probably the the time that your dog was exposed to the rat is minimal. But definitely if there are rats in your area or if your dog is the kind of dog that gets into the waterways um, or, or catches rats, you definitely to make sure that your leptospirosis vaccination is up to date. So, check your vaccine card. When did you last get a vaccine? Is there a vaccination against lepto in there? There should be. It is one of the ones that needs to be done every year uh, and have a chat with your vet about it.
2: And that annual vaccination, just to emphasise that again, it is so important oh, to have that done, isn't absolutely, it?
5: Absolutely, definitely, definitely. So, um, there's normally that we, va- we vaccinate against December, Parvovirus, uh, leptospirosis, and infectious canine hepatitis. Um, and as I say, really the, the, the lepto part of it, a lot of the time they have immunity to the other diseases uh, that last for two or three years but the leptospirosis the vaccine only lasts for 12 months so definitely need to get that one done every year.
2: We've just had a call in from Anne and uh, this is her question she says hi Sinead recently we had to move house we went to try and take our three-year-old cat with us but he refused to come. God, he must be a stubborn boy. Uh, we had to leave him at the old house. We've been up and down to feed him as the house is still empty and really want to take him with us. But he's putting up a tremendous fight. He wants to go back all the time. Oh,
5: gosh. Uh, I suppose all you can really try is is physically bring the cat with you and the cat carrier to the new house, keep all the doors shut and the windows shut so he has no way of getting out and keep him indoors for maybe about a month just to kind of see, you know, obviously let him have access to a litter tray but get get him used to your new house so that he associates your new house with being his new territory. And then hopefully once he's been in it for about four weeks, um, he will not be feeling such a, a kind of push to go back to the old house. The other thing you can get is uh, these, uh, um, this thing called Feelyway, which is a, a cat appeasing pheromone little spray. You can get a little plug in, you plug it in your house. It produces pheromones to calm your cat and de-stress your cat because in the same way that moving is very stressful for humans, it's also very stressful for for our pets. Um, so I think you might, you know, unless you're going to give up, give it up as a bad job um, I think you really need to bring the cat physically with you into the new house but just keep him indoors for the first four weeks
2: and does that apply obviously they're in close proximity there they've moved fairly yeah. close by and yeah. I suppose that's difficult as well because cats roam and they have yeah, territories exactly. if you go a long distance away Sinead is it equally as important even though you might think "Oh, sure," with well, the other side of the country yeah, to I keep would, a cat in I
5: will keep the cat in for the first few weeks so that they establish it as being their home territory and that they, they, they get used to it as being home and a safe haven and a little you know sanity place that, that that's their place for going to and then hopefully after about a month or so the cat is established in its own location and then you can start letting the cat out and the cat will then make its own new territory in its new area and meet the local cats and hopefully there won't be too many um, you know, beatings up uh, now what you hear all these stories sometimes of cats that do then go and find their own way back home and that's always a risk but I think as long as you've established the cat in a new home in a proper way hopefully that's, that's less likely to happen
2: The feline fanciers are certainly on the march today on Late Lunch. Here's another one. Uh, My cat strays each night, comes back in the morning, but absolutely stinks. Should I curtail his nocturnal wanderings? And would you recommend washing him? And if so, with what?
5: Oh my Lord. Is washing, washing cats not? No, washing cats. I mean, I, I think we had a cat where I was working, I was working during the week in the emergency clinic in Dublin and we had a cat in that ended up covered in oil and the only way we could wash that was by sedating the cat in order to give a shampoo and a wash. So really I think you're going to struggle to wash your cat yourself. If the cat is really messy and horrible, then speak to your vet and they can sedate the cat and they can do a, a proper wash in the, in the vet's premises is probably the best thing to do. Uh, and really, again, cats are just, they're a different rule entirely. You know, you can't really train them. So if if you're letting the cat out at night and the cat is going and getting covered in all complete messes, it's going to keep happening. So all your only solution is to keep the cat in.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And they do wander and, and when they get the habit of wandering, they'll want, they'll to, wander want to wander all the time, yeah, won't they? Definitely, that, definitely. That's really the... This but is, I wouldn't
5: try shampooing the cat yourself. I think that's going to cause... It's hugely stressful. So most of the time it's a thing of have a chat with your vet about getting some sedation and they can wash the
2: cat you. could you. Uh, bear the the signs and the scars if, yeah, you, if you go at you, that yourself, I'm sure. Yeah, you could yourself, get
5: in sure. trouble. Yeah definitely, yeah, definitely.
2: Absolutely. Next question, Sinead. Hi, we have a staff but she stopped eating When we hand feed her, she will eat But it seems it's also dropping out of her mouth What would be the problem there?
5: Well, I'd be suspicious that there's some kind of pathology in the mouth. Either, you know, perhaps with the gums, there could be a mass on the gums, uh, a mass inside the mouth, or there could be very bad dental disease. So maybe see. Will the dog let you have a little look in yourself if that's safe for you to do so? Normally, staffies are pretty friendly with their with their humans. They're just not so good with other dogs. Um, But I would definitely get that checked out at the vet because, I mean, I always say if they're if they're eating when they're hand fed, you kind of think well they're not that bad. Um, But if if the dog is eating and kind of struggling to eat or dropping the food out, I think you need to get that investigated so the big thing I'd be wondering about is is there something growing in there that shouldn't be so I would go and have a chat with your vet
2: OK, Staffordshire Bull Terriers you'd be yeah. alright about opening their mouths yeah, they're actually they're they're fantastic okay, yeah.
5: dogs with people yeah. just they're not great with other dogs they were bred you know, almost to be fighting dogs so they will uh, most of them will be very unpredictable with other dogs and uh, I'd always be worried about them if I saw one coming towards me without my dog okay. but as as dogs with humans they're amazing
2: Absolutely fine. Hi, Jerry. My daughter is emigrating to the States and wants to bring her dog with her. She and the dog have been inseparable since we got him five years ago. How does she go about this? Does she need know? Do dogs need a passport?
5: Oh yes, absolutely. Your dog is going to need a passport. Your dog. What you're going to have to do first of all is you're going to have to contact the airline first of all and find out what their requirements are for, from the point of view of kenneling, because you're going to have to provide the kennel or the crate that your dog is going to travel in. So you need to contact the airline, then you're going to have to contact the authorities in America and see what it's normally their Department of Agriculture um, and you're going to have to find out what their requirements are that the dog needs to have vaccination wise upon entry to America they'll also tell you if there has to be any kind of quarantine procedure or anything like that Uh, and then you're going to need to contact your own vet to arrange for your dog to get the pet passport and to arrange to get the vaccinations that are required by America. Um, Some countries I think America might also require blood tests um, for freedom from rabies or, or rabies vaccination. So you really need to get on the the move and do all that research because no one else will do that for you. So contact your airlines, contact the authorities in America, contact your vet and get the ball rolling because it can take quite a while to get a pet passport.
2: In general, you know, travelling a long distance like Mm. that for a permanent move, the other side of the world, different climate, etc. What's your view on that?
5: Well, I think as I mean, I think it's quite, a, it's, it's a stra- stressful long journey, but I think it's just been done as a one-off. And so I would say it's okay to do. The thing that I always worry about from when I think about it being my dog, you kind of wonder, well, how do they go for a wee or how do they, you know, get comfortable or what do they do about eating, things like that. Um, so again, you need to have a chat with the airline. The other thing you can do uh, if you do a Google search, there are actually companies that specialize in transporting dogs long distances. So they might actually do a huge amount of the work for you in the point of view of researching what you need to do and from the point of view of getting your equipment and, and your kennel and things like that so definitely have a look at there, there's pet transporters uh, contact them you know the, it, it's difficult you know but as I say if it's just for a one-off then I think it's worthwhile to do it
2: Sinead you were speaking a moment ago about a dog losing its bark I have the opposite oh problem <laughs> I have a dog and I wish I could shut him up is there anything you can do with a dog that barks incessantly any time you let him out?
5: Right. Okay. Well, I suppose again you need to take a look at your daily routine and look at what's the trigger for the dog barking. I mean, normally um, dogs bark an awful lot. Say if they're on their own in the house and they're bored, or if they're on on their own in the garden. It sounds like this dog is going outside and barking, and uh, so maybe it's going outside and being you know stimulated and excited by the things that are going on in the garden. So I mean, I think what you need to do is uh, see what what is it that's stimulating the dog to bark. Um, if it's something quite innocuous and, and quite uh, you know that isn't really something that you think it's it's uh, a reasonable stimulus for it to bark I mean what you can do is you say you you say the word you're going to associate with the command you say quiet to them you can either try spraying them with a little water pistol to see will that stop them or once they go quiet you reward them with a biscuit so the dog gets used so you either try your positive, con- positive therapy or your negative conditioning um, so try a little bit yourself of that so as I say you know just say, say, say the dog to be quiet go over to the dog talk to the dog encourage the dog to interact with you that should make the dog be quiet then give the dog a treat hopefully the dog's associating the word quiet with a treat and going quiet so try a bit of that yourself if you're not getting very far then contact a pet behaviourist and they'll be able to give you some advice on it
2: It is an issue and obviously that person is concerned for others you know you're I'm living others, in then it... the
5: neighbours get annoyed yeah. and they give out to you and they're getting cross so I'd be interested to know what's the stimulus for the dog barking so I mean Cleo for example is a devil for barking if she hears the, the car door slamming outside or mm. somebody else going into their own house or some kind of bang or a knock or something like that and she does this kind of alarmed bark whereas it sounds like your dog is doing a kind of enthusiastic like what's going on kind of bark and as I say I think you need to find out what's been the stimulus for that and you need to get the dog's attention back to yourself so call the dog get the dog over get the dog interacting with you and then reward the dog for going quiet and that's the basic principle of it but if you're struggling with that just ask your vet to to recommend a local pet behaviourist and they can help you with that.
2: Our cat appears to have dry skin around its
1: face.
2: mouth, eyes, which has become more of a problem in the last couple of months. Is there anything I can apply to moisturise? No,
5: I'd be really wary of putting any products on a cat's face because what will happen is the cat will lick them off uh, or it could even be absorbed uh, through the skin and really cat skin needs cat specific products because they're very, very sensitive and a lot of the ingredients in human preparations or even canine preparations will be toxic to, to cats. So don't try anything yourself. I think unfortunately you need to take a trip to your local vet to get that investigated. It could be part of an an underlying allergy, it could be um, some kind of sign of underlying little mite infestation, uh, or it could be a, a, a more extreme form of allergy, I think called well, eosinophilic granuloma. But you need to get it investigated by the vet. It can get sorted out, it'll get investigated. But I think you need to go and chat to the vet. I wouldn't try any home therapy because all you're going to do is maybe make the cat sick, to be honest.
2: So, those proprietary products that we may use ourselves as humans yeah, to no, moisturize skin no, and that. don't not. go no, down no, no. that road. It's it, it, just all. all
5: get ingested by the cat, and uh, on the you know, at the very least it'll end up being very messy. At the worst, you could make the cat quite sick.
2: My God, here's the first for us, I think, and for you, Sinead Kelly, on Late Lunch with us. Help, it says, big, big capitals. My son wants a snake as a pet. Oh, no! How on earth do I mind them? What do they eat? Where should we keep them? All help greatly appreciated, says Celine, this afternoon. Right, well,
5: my advice would be you... You're going to educate yourself and your son that snakes are really, really, really bad pets. I, I am very anti-exotic pets. Uh, snakes do not live in people's houses. They live in the desert. Um, you know, They live in the jungle. They, they don't live... We cannot provide them with the appropriate environment. And because we can't provide them with the appropriate environment, even if we get them a vivarium and a UV light and all the things that the pet shops advise, they invariably end up getting sick and dying and costing a lot of money along the way. So, I mean, I think what you should do... I don't know how old your son is, um, but I would try and get your... You know, maybe could you get your 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 son a more appropriate pet, and look at adopting a wild snake uh, through the World Wildlife Fund or something like that. Get them to realise that this is a wild animal, and get them to see that actually we've got it all wrong. You know, people who who market exotic sp- pets, who keep exotic pets, they're they're keeping animals in totally the wrong environment, in totally the wrong place, and we just end up as vets seeing them come down with with husbandry issues and husbandry problems, and it's very stressful for the animal. You know, and also as a pet, you're not getting a huge amount of interaction back from a snake all you're doing is causing stress to it mm. so i think i would just do it depends how old the child is hopefully you can get the child come yeah. back to us i mean so he's, so he's almost an adult yeah. i think you need to you, what you should probably do is uh, do a little bit of a google search look up the number of uh, exotic pets that die on uh, route from the wild to captivity the number of them that die in transit uh, as our market for exotic pets and that'll make you kind of quite horrified and quite sad to see
2: i, I concur with what Sinead says there in terms And she's the expert, and she says something brilliant. Adapt, uh, adopt one of these animals through some of the wildlife wildlife organisations in the wild, and and fund the survival of these creatures. Absolutely,
5: absolutely. And then then learn about them and find out about them, and just appreciate and appreciate them, and realise that their place is not in our houses
2: absolutely just before you finish because the month turns as you know into that special month at the end of the week (laughs) and I know each time I ask you this when it comes to this time of year because some people get the idea we'll buy a pet for somebody for Christmas or a child be it a a new dog to our house or a cat or whatever what do you say again this no, year? No, I
5: think just Christmas. Christmas is just such a busy time. Everyone knows it's a busy time. Everyone's rushing around. It's not really the best time when you can give time and peace and quiet to a new puppy or a new kitten or a new dog or a new cat. If you're an adult and you're getting it for yourself and you know yourself that you can put the time into it, that's great. But if you're buying it for a child or a family member, especially as a surprise, I would urge you not to because it's a huge undertaking getting a new pet, even if you get an adult dog or an adult cat. And... Um, even more so if you get a puppy or a kitten and even more so if there's children involved. And as I say, it, just Christmas isn't the time. There's just too much going on. There's too much excitement. There's too much potential, um, you know, disasters and, 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 and issues in in the background. So I would say, you know, if you want to get a pet, then maybe research, maybe doing it in January when you have more time or maybe even in the Easter holidays when the kids are off school and you can get the, the children to help you with the pet, and you can get the, the whole thing, you know, that you can learn together. The problem is often what happens is people think right I'll get the puppy it'll get settled in in two weeks then it'll be fine and now I'll go back to work the kids will go back to school and then the puppy's on its own all day in the house so again ask yourself do I have the time to give this pet a life in my house once the holidays are over and you have to examine that yourself really to be honest
2: Absolutely. And it's the wrong time. As well, I often find uh, whenever we got a new pup and we've done it a few times, we've done it actually when you said Easter coming into the early summer where you can have nicer weather and have time to acclimatise, etc. It's a big responsibility. It is a big
5: responsibility. I think people don't understand the responsibility. It's a financial responsibility. It's an emotional responsibility. It's a physical responsibility. You know, if you get a dog, you have to realise that probably for the next 13, 14 years, you will be getting up an extra half an hour, 45 minutes earlier, hopefully, to work your dog every single morning even if it's pouring down with rain you'll be probably be coming back at lunchtime or getting somebody to walk the dog during the day um, you're going to be doing it again in evening time when it's dark um, you're going to be paying vet bills you're going to be paying for food you'll get an awful lot back from that dog you'll get a huge amount of love and affection and loyalty but it's a commitment and you have to put that back into it it's not fair otherwise <laughs>
2: Fine words, Sinead. And remember, please take those on board and listen this Christmas time. Sinead, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for taking all the questions today. Brilliant advice as usual. And we'll see you again
5: soon. See you soon. Thanks, my and Jerry.
0: The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie.
2: I'm sure he's still possibly a little jet-lagged and floating on air potentially following his golfing success in Australia at the World Cup of Golf where Brendan Lawler scored impressively to ensure victory for the world team he was a member of over Hosts Australia. Brendan, it's so good to have you with us this afternoon. Congratulations. Thanks very much. Gerry, it's good to be here Oh, what an achievement to uh, achieve what you achieved I want to step back a bit Because you were in Australia for a few weeks And firstly, you took part in the Australian All Abilities Championship And you finished? I I came
6: second in that one Well done to you Yeah, it was an amazing event Um, The best 12 disability golfers in the world were invited to play in that one Alongside the pros So um, I'd say we got a wee bit more coverage in the first event Because we were in between times we weren't playing with the pros, but we were, and um, we were right in the middle. So Matt Kuchar, we were right behind Matt Kuchar, we were right in front of Keegan Bradley. It was a it was a mad experience. So they mixed your event in with the pros. Yeah. Oh my God! Did you ever play in front of so many people? No, it was it was starstruck. I was starstruck. Were you? It was amazing because um, you're teeing up in the first tee and there's thousands of people watching, and you're like, there was water on the left, and you're thinking, just miss it so far right, so you're not in that water. <laughs> But the first few days, first day I ripped one down the middle, which was really good, got the campaign off to a good start. But um, there was a fear of the disability golfers holding up the pros, which, like, the best 12 in the world were good golfers. It's just another golf course. Yeah. But it went swiftly. We didn't hold anyone up. We actually we were waiting on shots, which was quite surprising. Hey, Brendan.
2: Don't even mention that because them bloody pros there's no the slower men in the world yeah, they, they use the, the rule book to their full advantage. Yeah, you right. know that yourself. Right, yeah. So no hold up it went smoothly for you and you come in second. You were up against uh, the other 11 best disability golfers in the world. Just remind listeners
6: w- what categorises you as, as a disability golfer? Yes, yeah, so I have a condition called Alice van Creveld which is a shorter limbs and shorter stature. And um, but there's quite a lot of disability guys there, like there's people with one legs, one arms, and um, cerebral palsy. So this, it was an all abilities event. So Americans focus more on amputees. So which is one leg or one arm? But this is like a category for all. Yes. So bringing everyone together, which is unbelievable. Mm. But uh, the inclusion of Golf Australia is is phenomenal, and the way they can interact disability golfers, are professional golfers, and how understanding that professional golfers were of us and saw us as normal people instead of having disabilities. Absolutely. It was really and truly a fantastic event. Look on the
2: ability and the wonderful ability, I say. So you're saying to me that Australia, Golf Australia, are way
6: ahead of anyone else. Way ahead. But I think the way it went and the exposure it, uh, it got, like you had Ian Poulter posting on Instagram of Juan Postigo, the partner I played with, hitting a ball 300 yards off one leg. Saying, and I wish I'd, I, wish I had his golf swing. It, it was, it was surreal. It was ridiculous. Now, on you
2: went after that success uh, to play on this world team. Yeah. Okay, and this was a sort of a, a Ryder Cup like competition, was not yeah, it? Yeah, it
6: was a Ryder Cup. It was the best six um, Europeans or the world, you could say, against the best six Australians. So, um, this was <laughs> again. It was a really, really good event. The, the crowds are massive. But the weather sort of put a damper on it because it was windy and it was wet. So the crowds didn't come out for the first few days. And our day, our event was only a two-day event. So the crowds weren't there as such. But the PGA Tour were posting on social media of what mm. we were doing. And uh, Golf Australia were posting... So on that case, like it got massive, massive exposure. Yeah. Did your grounding and training and all your golf in this neck of the woods in windy? Look at the weather today, Brendan. Yeah. Did that stand you in good stead oh, for those did. conditions? Yeah, it definitely did. It was um, it was a patience game, definitely the first day because it was teaming down with rain, and Dad was doing a great job keeping the clubs dry because it wasn't it wasn't easy. And um, my partner Juan Pastigo, he was from Spain. And uh, he wasn't used to that rainy or windy weather. So we both played really, really well. We adapted really well to the conditions. I want to remind you of the ninth hole. Oh. Will you ever forget Every, that? Everyone's reminded me of the ninth hole. Tell them what you did. Oh, it was unbelievable. <coughs> um, so it was a four ball. Um, so it works as whoever's, whoever had the better score in the hole went down. So um, we both played off the tee box. I hit driver just down the left hand side I had 250 yards to the green it was a par 5 and then I hit this three wood to about 60 feet and I drained it for eagle so, <laughs> 60
2: foot yeah, bang yeah, in she went
6: a, it was a special moment oh my god
2: yeah, what, a, what moment. a moment that was and you won 5 and 4 you had a good win in your match
6: yeah we played really really well and um, we were three under for fourteen holes, which some of the pros were shooting that. So to know that you can score as good as them in, in at the same format it's 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 fun. It was, I saw you pictured with Shane Lowry and Paul Dunn, who yeah. are representing Ireland at the World Cup there. Yeah. Did you practice with them? Yeah, they're two gentlemen. Um I was the GUI set me up a, um just to meet up with them over there. I didn't think I'd be playing golf holes with them or anything, but I went to the range on the Tuesday. I played seven holes in Royal Melbourne and then went down to Metropolitan to meet the lads. So I came on to the range and pulled them Dunman was practicing. I didn't want to go up to him and be like, like a fan. Oh, hi, hi, how are you? Because you're one of them that week. You're you're a player, you're playing alongside them, so you can't really get starstruck. But uh, he came up to me and said, hi, Brendan, how are you? So I said, like, geez, he knows my name. This is a good start. <laughs> But um the boys were lovely. Souls nice. And then um Paul's Paul said we'll go for nine holes. So we and played nine holes, me, Shane and Paul and um Shane's management team. They were walking around. So uh, it was really, really fun. They're um they're great crack. How did you feel in that company? Was, was it did you feel like um a little bit overwhelmed or did you just go out there and do your own thing? Eh, uh, I didn't feel overwhelmed. Maybe a wee bit nervous. You didn't want to make a make a bit fool of yourself by hitting bad shots or whatever but um, the company like they, they wouldn't make you feel out of place so um, when they're practicing and just throwing golf balls down and chipping around so it's not serious so you don't look good or you don't look bad if you get me but they are really nice really lovely guys they give you tremendous encouragement I believe as yeah. well for your own event and to Really, to, really to get in event. there
2: and and bring home the bacon.
6: Yeah, so the, we had a few we had a few words when I got there with them. Just do I wonder what's going on and what type of event it was. So I explained to them what, what it was, and then um, when I won my first point, uh, Paul Dunn texted me. I played a pro am with um, Thomas Peters the first day, and uh, Paul Dunn shot Paul done and Larry shot eight under on the Thursday. So I text them saying. Great shooting, well done. So he got back to me the next day. Thanks very much, Brendan. This is when I won the two points. Great winning the two points. Thomas Peters was very impressed with you. So to get messages like that, it's unbelievable. Shows you they're talking as well among yeah. themselves. Yeah. Because you boys have some
2: talent. Now, tell me this. You, you were out there for a couple of weeks. Yeah. You, you work in the family business. Yeah. And your dad was with you, was he? Yeah. He got two weeks off for that
6: one. <laughs> 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 oh, it was unreal. Yeah. It must have been great to have him out there with you as well. Oh, yeah. Mam was there as well. Was she? Yeah, yes. They're very, very supportive of me. Yes. Yeah, so your fantastic. mama, that, what's their names? Uh, Billy and Marie. And it's the business is what? CI, CTI, CTI, CTI. CTI Business is in, Yeah, CTI yeah.
2: Business Solutions. So you're working in the family business. They gave you how many weeks did they give you off? Give me six weeks. So I wouldn't say I'm working in the family business. I'm there. <laughs> the odd time. <laughs> hey, yeah. boy, you're going to
6: be there for the next six weeks, yeah. I'm sure. I'll be there. Yeah, I'll <laughs> be there.
2: You have to make up for the time. But to have your folks with you there and be there when you win. Beautiful trophy you got, and Yeah. The trophy
6: wasn't? was amazing. And, yeah. And um, i s p Handa <coughs> represent our ambassador is Peter Phillips, the Queen's grandson, so he was there encouraging everybody on like he came for he came for the first week in Sydney and was supporting us really well didn't even go out and see the pros he was there in the first heat and then I didn't even know he was there the first week and I came to Melbourne and there was a big gala dinner on where um all the pros go to and there was like music and food and all that sort of stuff and um Peter Phillips comes over to me and says, You played some stuff on thirteen, fourteen and fifteen I was like, oh, oh thanks very much. I hadn't a clue who he was and then uh, Mam was busting through everybody. That's Peter Phillips, that's <laughs> Peter Phillips So uh she she was a wee bit starstruck more than me. But then he watched us then for um he watched us on the first every day. In uh, Melbourne, because the weather—you wouldn't put a dog out in the weather. It was—it was terrible. What a year for for the club! You won Barton Shield in Leinster, was it? Yeah, we won the Barton Shield with um in Leinster. It was some achievement. We hasn't been won in like twenty something years. It's mm. been a long time. So that was a massive achievement for the club. Unbelievable. And yourself, uh, your handicap—you're are too virgin on one now, yeah, is it? it just, I got down to one for a while, but then.
2: I had a few point ones <laughs> so uh, back up the, the bane of golfer's yeah, lives tough. aren't they it's, it's tough do you feel as you come to the end of the year now that you've more or less golfed yourself out maybe in yeah, a way
6: yeah golfed out at the minute but um, when you get invited to events like in Australia oh yeah it makes you work your Work your bum off to get there and and do well in them mm. because it gets great exposure. So you want to be you want to be seen of course. doing really really well, which is good. So twenty nineteen is just round the corner. Yeah. Where is Brendan Lawler going with his golf next year? Have you a plan? Uh, I do. I need a I I need to do a schedule first because um, you need to play a certain amount of events to keep the rankings up for next year. But um, there's three world stage events for disability golfers next year. Like, the inclusion that Golf Australia are doing for this is amazing. So, the President's Cup already hopped on board, saying they're going to do a showcase. Is in, that in Australia that's again? That's in Australia next year. So you may be heading back there? Well, I need to keep the rankings up, but hopefully. So, yeah. to play, that'll be against Dustin Johnson. They, they'll all be there. All the big boys. So, um, I'm going to try my best this year to keep the rankings up. Um, obviously, it's a lot of funding. So, um I'm gonna hopefully, hopefully need a bit of funding for them. I'd say I'll need to play four events next year to keep the rankings up. Do okay. well in four events, and you'll have to do well in those. That's yeah, the key thing yeah. as
2: well. What about the whole area of funding? You, 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 how did you? You mentioned I think the GUI they
6: helped you with the Australian trip, yes? Yeah, the GUI were fantastic. They um, they kitted me out in all Irish gear, which was lovely, and then they gave me money towards my trip. It was an it was a paid trip by um, the PGA and the European Tour. And um, flights were well subsidised by Emirates. So it was basically a free trip. But the GOI really, really helped me out with that one. Mm-hmm. Um, How much money do you reckon you'd need to
2: keep you, you know, to play those ranking events, to make your mark, to sustain this over a
6: year? Oh, it's a lot of money. Um, probably, you're looking at three, four grand an event. Because mm-hmm. they are peak times during the best courses and you're staying in... Top class resorts. Are you looking for sponsorship? Choice. Yes, I'm looking for a sponsorship at the minute. My dad has been unbelievable, mm. unreal all year, has supported me from day one. So uh, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here. But um, so I'm trying to lay off that a wee bit and uh, try and
2: get. I'm sure there has to be somebody listening today who can understand what you've achieved yeah. and, and what it means to you and to Irish golf and to people who are playing golf, you know what I mean, with a disability. This fella is a cracker. I met him back at the beginning of the year here in late lunch, and I really enjoyed his company, and he's a great, great guy. So if you're in the market for looking for some publicity and supporting a real top man, Brendan Lawler, may I say today, is your man. And he'd love to talk to anybody who might be able to help him with his dreams and ambitions for next year. Um, How did you start playing this game? Tell me again in the first place.
6: I started off with a small well pitch and putt. Um, I played a lot of pitch and putt in Shannon Rock, um, in Shannon Rock pitch and putt course, which was unbelievable. I played it for years, probably since I was six years old, mm. till I was seventeen, eighteen. But um, I'm not playing as much now when the golf sort of took over, and it's it's hard to balance. Ah, you the can't two games. combine
2: the two. I know that. Then you went to
6: RD. You then played I went RD. to RD, and then um, joined RD was about sixteen. Mm. Played a bit of golf in RD and then I joined on Dundalk last year. So I just kept plugging away and plugging away and practicing. And, and you're you're giving it gusto in in the normal events across yeah. the the clubs and yeah. in tournaments as well. You're playing all these, yeah. and I have played all these events. Yeah, I play I play able body golf. Yes. and I'll continue to play it. But disability golf, um, it's a road I am eligible to go down, mm. and it's a road that um uh, I'm going. It's doing really well. Mm. So um, I'm trying to get more disability golfers in Ireland to get involved as well, because um, there's European Championships for teams, and it'll be lovely to have an Irish representative there. In those, we yeah. should be. And there. even for people that maybe are struggling with mental health or have a disability, to get them playing golf and to get them in the game, it's 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 an it's a goal that me and a fellow called Gareth McNeely are aiming for. Okay. So we're trying to set up a Irish Disability Golfing Association. So um, that's, that's probably the next step. The
2: next step for you. There is a, a rumour, and, and we know the Open Championship is coming to Ireland, to yeah. Portrush yeah. next summer. I have tickets. And I need tickets. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, there's a rumour that this
6: may figure in parallel with, have you heard that with yeah. the Open? Yeah. The inclusivity with, a lot of countries are hopping on board now. So um, even the Masters were on about doing something, the British mm. Open, they're all going to hop on board. So this sport's getting huge. It's going to be it's going to be huge in a few years. You
2: so. may not need tickets.
6: I hope. I need. Uh, hopefully, I'm playing. And <laughs> you hopefully, will be, people will be playing to see you'll me. You'll be there, hopefully, and yeah. they'll be
2: coming in to see you. But again,
6: right. Hapenny Golf as well in Droitwich. They've been very, very good to me throughout the whole year. Mm. They've been giving me. Um, a lot of equipment and stuff yes. so. we want to mention them as I well wanted today. to mention them too of so course it's
2: good. of course
6: well listen you're a top man top of the world
2: yeah, I wish you well uh, ha- enjoy your break and Thanks come back well. stronger than ever next year and please God, we'll be talking again in 2019 about another world success Hopefully. for Brendan Lawler Hopefully. thank you
6: Brendan thank you good Jerry, to meet thank you thank again you
0: The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie.
2: My final guest this uh, Wednesday afternoon caught the filmmaking bug as a schoolboy when he accompanied his dad to Spain to help him make a documentary and since then he's dreamed of making his own movies that dream is now a reality because his first feature film will be screened at the Antoine Art Centre in Dundalk on Wednesday next. It's called Writing Home and its producer Mark Coff- Coffey joins me on the show. Mark you're very welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me Not on. at all you're very welcome to Late Lunch. Will you better context yourself for us because I went out at the reception <laughs> and said Nicky Coffey's son <laughs> <laughs> the famous Nicky oh, Coffey yeah. from Dundalk
1: you're his yeah. lad yes Yeah, yeah. I'm Mark Coffey anyway, yeah. anyway um, yeah my dad's from Dundalk and the Coffees are of Dundalk they're all they're all related to me um, I've grown up in Dublin but uh, I have a, a good connection with Louth and uh, I consider myself a bit of a coolie man so <laughs>
2: and why not with such deep roots in the place really that trip with your dad when you were a young fella yeah uh,
1: I, I can't remember what age I was it must have been about 10 years old but uh i was credited as location assistant but i, I carried around the tripod uh for the camera to the different locations but it was a, it was a it was a nice experience at that at that young of, young of an age to to get a Idea of what a, a film and a documentary was going to be like.
2: And the, did that wet your whistle? Did you did you start from that point, or did you leave it a bit? How
1: did it develop um, with you? Well, I, <laughs> around that age as well. My my parents got me a like a a camcorder when I was around that age as well. So I'd mess around with that, and I made a little made a little film with my uh, with my cousins. That it was a gangster film. And we all—I wrote it, and we all played different parts. Uh, so, I made that at a young age, and and you be, shot it with a camcorder, yeah. So uh, <laughs> I love it. I had to shoot everything in one once after the other, you though, can as well. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, it was funny, but it was uh, it was very funny to actually. Have
2: you still got that?
1: I haven't actually, unfortunately, which oh, is an no. awful shame. It'd be great to have it now, but wouldn't it? Yeah, but it was a it was a good good memories anyway. Yeah, and, and yeah. Showing yeah. it to, to my family and okay and having a laugh at it as well
2: so in you where? like you wanted this you, you went at this straight away and how where did it go from there how did it um, develop
1: well secondary school I made kind of stupid funny videos with my friends mm. just having a laugh and then I ended up doing a uh, science degree in, in university uh, did a few videos then as well <clears throat> realised that uh, science probably wasn't for me um, and once I graduated, I moved to Los Angeles for a year and looking to get experience in anything ended up working in mostly reality t v shows for the year as a production assistant but it was a it was a great experience it was kind of like an, a, a year 's apprenticeship and just got got me to to see what a really professional yes. high budget environment is like and uh came back here you know i didn 't uh wasn 't intimidated then i 'd seen what it was like in America and what it was like in the epicentre of it all in Los Angeles and thought, I could do this and it's also done in Ireland at the same time so uh, why not follow that? I take it you'll never be in sci-fi with your dislike of <laughs> science. That's never going to be on your radar as a,
2: a genre of movie, is it? Uh,
1: no, I, I do enjoy sci- sci-fi. <laughs> uh, just I don't want to... <laughs> Bring- I just wouldn't, wouldn't want to work in a okay. science environment. I, ca- I am. It, with him, with <laughs> be I'm, I'm, you know yourself. Anyway, th- this
2: movie that you've made, uh, tell us about it, Riding Home. What's
1: yeah. about it about? Uh, So Writing Home is the story of Daniel Doran, who's an Irish emigrant to London. He has kind of turned his back on on Ireland. He's turned his back on his roots of writing critically acclaimed books, but that don't sell. So he's moved to London. He's written these popular books that are not the best they sell well, but he doesn't have a good uh, good name for himself as a writer and you know he's just trying to live the high life live the live a live a fast life with uh lots of, surrounded by lots of sycophants who don't really care about his his goals in life um He gets a phone call from home that his dad's sick, so he has to return r- reluctantly to to the rural rural town and uh reconnects with the family he left behind the friends and the, the ex-girlfriend and as time goes on he realises maybe maybe he did leave something good behind and maybe the life in London is not all it seems. I like it. <laughs> and you know I'd say it has happened to n-
2: a number of people. Yeah. The grass looks greener.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, a lot, well a lot of people in my generation anyway go, go abroad. I I did as well for Yes, in America for a year. I I always knew I was coming back, but I know a lot of people that go abroad and have a great time, um, uh, and might forget what they're actually missing because Ireland is a, Ireland's a great place, and it's it's taken me traveling abroad to actually realise that you know. So is it sort a biographical? Uh, well, I didn't I didn't write it. Uh, I just produced the film, but yes, I could definitely. There's definitely things that there's parallels parallels there with you close to home and
2: and and you like it this it's been about for about a year at this stage yeah yeah
1: Yeah. so we filmed in Cooley uh, the Cooley Peninsula April April May June not not for the entire three months but we filmed around that time in 2017 then it premiered at the Galway Film uh, July of 2017 then it's gone to Cork Film Festival it's gone around the world it's been to uh, Luxembourg, New York, Toronto, Chicago, Mexico, London. Uh, I think that's it. But, <laughs> but most importantly, on town in yes. Dundalk next, next Wednesday next, night next when next you're up. bringing it all back home. <laughs> yes, the, really looking forward to next week. Uh, it's on Wednesday night, at as you said, Tone, Tone Theatre. Uh, and it's at eight o'clock. Uh, there'll be a wine reception at half seven. And I'm hoping... Everybody who, who played a part, all, all the extras, people who gave their locations for the, for the film and will show up as well. There's also tickets on sale for anybody else who's interested in seeing Cooley up on the big screen. Um, tickets are available on, on the Antoine website for €10 Euro as well. And uh, former Taoiseach Enda Kenny has given a, a little intro talk beforehand. So it should be a good night for, for everybody. So he's, he he tell me that again about Taoiseach, he's doing what? Uh, Ender Kenny is going to be after the wine reception. He's going to be just given a little introduction. So talk. he's coming. Yeah, he'll be there on the night. He'll be there next Wednesday. Isn't that lovely? It's, yeah. It's How great. did
2: you manage to
1: to uh, Ender to I join? Just, you? I just asked him, and he was he was very welcoming. To he uh, he knows well. He knows young guy young guys. Uh, <laughs> Guess trying to trying yeah. to trying to get my career. I think that's off the really brand. nice and that he's there yeah. and he's
2: going to give you his imprimatur as well on the evening.
1: How many people were involved in the making of this? Um, well, there was a crew of about twenty people. There was a uh, main cast of about forty to fifty, um, but also then that's just <laughs> those are just the cast and crew. Then mm. the, the amount of support we got from people of. Cooley and Dundalk was mm. unbelievable um, there's a few maybe 200 names in the in the credits as well just to thank people just so I take it wouldn't have you been had a, a massive budget no we had a tiny budget but uh, <laughs> you,
2: you spread it did you you stretched
1: it <laughs> we stretched it Yeah, S- stretched this shoestring budget but um, I'm, I'm proud of how it's turned out and I don't mm. I don't think it looks low budget on, on screen I think mm. uh, we've managed to put all the money we had Onto the screen yes. itself,
2: it looks. The budget looks uh, way beyond what you yeah. actually had to work with. You got great support, didn't you, from from local businesses?
1: Yeah, um, Carlingford Arms, um, Derek McGarity, and Lily Finnegan as well. Uh, of Savage, the Greenore Co-op as well. Um, there's many more. <laughs> mm. Yeah, <laughs> but they got behind off. you and got behind yeah. this project as well, which yeah, is great. Th- it was it was well. This film wouldn't, wouldn't have been possible without without
2: this them. Yeah, yeah, and it's great to say that. Who are the main uh, actors? Does a comedian took the main male part? Yeah. Yes. So
1: Tony Kelly from Waterford, who's a stand-up comedian and actor, he he plays Daniel Dore in the lead. Uh, Quiva O'Malley plays the the ex girlfriend who uh, is not he's not on best relations with uh, Geraldine McAlinden plays uh, Daniel's mother and then there's a few local uh, Dundalk actors as well who who uh, complement the the family Juliet Crosby plays his younger sister and Tom Dunan play Play his, uh, okay, his, his younger so
2: there's as well. uh, a nice spread of talent there, local uh, and national also. Yeah. So you've had it round. It's done well. It's been well received. Uh, and please God, they'll turn out in their numbers. You have a guest list, but it's a tenor to see this, and it's next Wednesday at the town yes. and. Uh, You'd love to see as many people, Mark, as possible yeah. come out and give you a shout.
1: Yeah, well, there's, half of the tickets are gone already. So Great. Uh, so, so let's get the other half gone exactly. from late
2: lunch <laughs> this afternoon. Don't
1: say we haven't told you. It's worth seeing this. It really
2: has been well received all over. And what a better tribute could there be to this man and his work than having a full house there na- next week when it arrives home in Dundalk. I wish you well. Thanks, I really so do and much, it's yeah. lovely to meet you on the show Great today and certainly as they, that saying goes you didn't lick it off the ground <laughs> it's in the jeans from Nicky <laughs> and I better mention your mother as well because I'll be killed yeah. uh, Dr Susan O'Shaughnessy is yes, your yes. mum well, a, a well-known well known woman as yeah, well they,
1: they gave me huge support as well yeah they, you know, I know so they I, have you know, yeah. a, a big big thank you to both of them
2: yeah absolutely and uh, family right behind this guy you're a good fella uh, well done thanks, and thanks congratulations so on riding home again to say Thorne next Wednesday. this day week at 8 o'clock everybody welcome for the moment Mark Coffey thank you for joining me on Late Lunch thanks so much for having me thank you
0: The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda the Renault Dealer of the Year and most Google reviewed dealership in Ireland for award winning customer service you can trust visit us today Blackstone Motors drive with peace of mind 041 983 1100